Ryan, I think we just proved though compliance isn't boring. It's true. It is not. This was not a boring conversation whatsoever. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> it helps when you have people that are into it. Brought to you by Island. This is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about how cloud providers can help their customers become more compliant. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm cloud technologist for iLand and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a broad view of compliance around the globe. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite about their initial thoughts about what is important about being compliant in the cloud. Hi, I'm Justin Warren. I run a consulting company based in Melbourne, Australia called Pivot9. I'm the founder and chief analyst at that company and I've been working in technology for about 20 years. We deal with compliance with a bunch of different companies, particularly around privacy. A lot of our consulting is in marketing these days and people's data and privacy is very important to them. Hey, everybody. This is Vic Camacho. I am currently uh, work for Cohesity as one of their principal technologists within the technical advocacy group. Prior to that, I spent three years at iTrust where we were helping customers move into the cloud and what it meant to have data security and automated compliance in that space. And prior to that, I was a cloud architect for VMware for about six years, helping folks move into the cloud and what that meant for them. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Mila Lammers and I work on Island's compliance team. I'm an attorney and have always joked that I geek out on compliance. I live in Houston and I'm also a board member of the Greater Houston Business and Ethics Roundtable, which is for compliance professionals locally in Houston. Compliance in the cloud is a complicated regulatory landscape, but it's definitely a very exciting thing to be a part of. It's always changing and there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll definitely dig into that. So thank you all for joining me. An ever-increasing complication to running a business is ensuring that your IT systems are compliant with legal regulations. This is especially complicated if your company is servicing customers in different countries. Just like security, ensuring compliance is a major concern for companies considering utilizing the cloud. But though highly intertwined, security and compliance are very different. Vic, let's start with explaining how compliance differs from security. Sure. So security and compliance, they go hand in hand, but they are two different things, right? So security is really one of those things that can be a whole unique system of policies, but ultimately security feeds up to the larger compliance. So depending on what industry you sit in, when you talk about things like healthcare or retail, they have their unique regulatory mandates that they have to adhere to. And so security, I define security as those policies that you put in place to meet those higher mandates. And so that's how we typically explain what the difference between data security or security in general and how it relates to compliance. They go hand in hand, but they are uniquely different. For explaining how compliance is different from security, they're really, if you think of compliance, it could be all different types of industry compliance. So there could be financial compliance, there can be security compliance, and then there can also be, you know, all different industries, healthcare, they each have their own set of regulations that we each have to comply with within those industries. So security really applies to most organizations now, which is exciting because almost every single organization has to have security compliance factored into their larger compliance program. 
Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, right? So I think every organization has their own set of security practices, and it largely depends on what mandates that they have to comply with, right? But aside from that, they may have their own security practices that pertain more to their organization and how they handle certain things in the environment, like how people access files and and what teams have access to certain files. So in the example I usually give is you might have an HR team and a legal team, and they have a lot of sensitive data, but a member from one team may not need access to the other, right? There may be some legal reasons to not have those things go back and forth and co-mingle. And so within an organization, they have their organizational structure security practices, but they also have security practices that meet that higher mandate, if you will, if that makes sense. Yeah, compliance is, people get confused about it because we get stuck in jargon a lot, I think. Like compliance is about adhering to rules and rules are just ways that societies agree about what's important to them. So we have a lot more interest in like security compliance these days because a whole bunch of people have decided that actually security is quite important. We probably weren't taking it as seriously as we could have, despite that being the standard line that everyone uses after they get breached is that they come out with a press release and say, we take security seriously. <laughs> Please ignore all of the evidence that you've just seen that that is a lie. It's really just about saying, well, these are what the rules are. We agree as a society, however your society does that, and an organization is a society within a larger society. And it's just about saying, well, this is what's important to us. Here are the rules for that. So everyone needs to follow the rules of our society. Yeah, Justin hits on a point there that I see a lot of organizations out there. It resonates with a lot of organizations, and that's because you think about all of those breaches that have happened in the last year, let alone the last five years. And in a way, it's kind of sad because it's somewhat of a knee-jerk reaction to what's happened. And at certain simple checks and balances had been put in place, a lot of those could have been avoided, right? So you think about when a breach happens, you know, what's the first thing that happens? You know, there could be the potential of fines coming and then audits that come after that because of a large breach. And so I think even though it is a knee-jerk reaction, I think it's more like putting the horse in front of the cart, so to speak, in that we are actually doing what we're supposed to be doing in the first place. And that is putting a security wrapper before we start to put any type of infrastructure in place or any type of solution in place now is we are actually taking security and compliance a little more serious and mainly because of the large breaches that are a lot more visible today, right? And those are just the ones that we see that are visible and public. There are so many others that have happened in the background there that we never hear about. And so I think it's really these IT leaders coming out and now putting these things into place because there has been some real uh, world downsides to that happening, right? That nobody wants to be a CISO or CTO and have that on their resume. So it's a real thing for them. It's uh, something that they're addressing now rather than later. It's funny what happens when you align the incentives. Unfortunately, a lot of these rules and regulations, as you say, do come in after a breach. If you look at other fields like engineering in particular, a lot of the rules and regulations are written in blood, quite literally, because at some point there was an incident where a building fell down and killed people. And so we've been building buildings for a lot longer than we've been building cloud. So unfortunately, at the moment, we're kind of going through the building fall down phase and we're trying to figure out, okay, when we do it this way, the building falls down and kills people. Let's not do that. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I don't know if I like that analogy, but I absolutely understand the point that you're trying to make, Justin. It's definitely, I mean, this is how this works in all of 
compliance initiatives and enforcement is always coming out of, you know, unfortunately, legislation generally tends to be a little bit behind of what's happening in real time. And the IT space specifically, the legislatures and regulators are just finally catching up to be like, hey, wait, data subject rights are really important. And if we do have a monumental breach, identity theft, all of these major consequences because of this have huge impacts for our constituents and for our entire society as a whole. So now, you know, we're seeing large regulatory changes in this space that really make you know, our job's very interesting because it changes and it's, we're constantly looking at, okay, whether it's the new country, new state, which government entity is really pushing for data privacy and what is this new regulation and how do we digest it and implement those new security controls because of it? Yeah. You don't have to wait for the rules either. Like you're allowed to do it well (laughs) right now. We should definitely do it well. No, No one is stopping And that's generally what happens is that a lot of people do try to do it well, but there'll be one or two bad actors who just push their luck or are sloppy and don't care and they ruin it for everyone. Yep. I like this data security compliance. Don't make it a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And I like that point that if people are properly doing what they should be doing to protect data and their customers and all that kind of stuff, we don't need regulations. You know, we're essentially self-regulating and that works well when everybody is completely trusted to do it. And all it takes is one person to prove that not everyone's trustworthy for it to then have to become a legal matter, which is tough because as you kind of started with Justin, each society defines that and a society could be, you know, any collection of people form a society. And that's where, you know, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but let's dig into that a little bit further is that, you know, if cloud providers with the natural business model that they have and, and trying to provide not only, you know, high availability within one site, but providing high availability across multiple sites, which means they naturally run into different compliance regulations because whether it's between two states within the United States or between two countries within Europe or even between two hemispheres between the United States and APAC Australia area, there's lots of different lessons that have been learned, lots of different mistakes that have been made that have proven where regulations are necessary. So Justin, what are some of the ways that cloud providers are using this experience of having to deal with all these different regulations across all these different societies to truly benefit customers? Well, and one is just the effort involved. Having to comply with these different regulations, depending on what they are, I'm currently getting a garage built in my backyard. So if you think that the compliance of cloud and security stuff is difficult, it's like, wow, (laughs) just getting a small garage built in your backyard and the number of checks and things that they have to do to make sure that it doesn't fall over and kill someone. Folks, you have it so easy. It's amazing. It's that practice. They've done this before, so they know that this is how you do things in the right way that makes it easy to comply. And that's one thing that people kind of forget. They go, oh, this is so much hard work and it's so tedious. But if you have a good idea about what the right intent is here, then compliance is actually fairly easy. It's quite a straightforward process. But you do need some experience generally around the corners and the nuances and the thorny bits that are why the rules exist in the first place. Some of them are there just to give you a checklist of don't forget to check that you know, for subsistence or does your ground get really wet or for cloud it could be something like don't forget that people really like to go after data in that jurisdiction so you need to take extra care. You have financial data that's worth a lot more money than this other you know, internal data that no one cares about. They're totally going to go there. You know, we want to rob banks because that's where the money is. 
So understanding those little nuances is one of the things that clouds can bring to you and say, hey, this other jurisdiction over here, they care a lot about this, you care a lot about that. We can see that you might want to expand into that direction. Maybe you should start thinking about it now. Or they've done a lot of that work themselves already, so they can just go, yeah, yeah, we've got this. Don't worry about it. And that's what a lot of the certifications are generally about, saying, we've already done all of the stuff for you around, say, physical plant security, about entry and exit criteria for a data center. You don't have to worry about any of that because we've got it. And you write that into your contracts. And then if it's breached, it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. You definitely need to do your due diligence to make sure that, yes, you've got it in the contract, but are you doing it for real? Just like picking a quality builder instead of someone that you just met at the pub. These are all sorts of areas in which a cloud company can help you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that, Justin. And definitely, I think one of the things that's the benefit of using a cloud provider in this particular space, because they are in so many different jurisdictions and they are, you know, Island, for example, we are global. So we, you know, comply with the most stringent standards that we hold for all of our customers, regardless of location, because it's easier for us to be able to implement to the highest standard as opposed to customizing it for each individual region. And customers would have the same thing. I would rather be able to rely on someone who's following the most challenging or maybe the most robust program as opposed to you know implementing it for each individual country that I'm involved in. It's just better practice to just you know set that higher standard for your program and be able to rely on that. Yeah, and we've seen that with regulations like GDPR. People sort of concentrate on where the business is. It's like, oh, I'm based in this state, so I need to comply with the local regulations. And that's true, but a lot of commerce these days is online. So your customers could live anywhere in the world. So, And we see that with GDPR in that if your customers live in Europe, then their data is subject to GDPR. And correct me if I'm wrong about some of the details in there because GDPR is incredibly complicated and I still <laughs> manage to screw it up from time to time. But understanding what your customers' expectations are. So like in Australia, we have a, a thing called the Australian Customer and Consumer Act, I think it's called. I need to check it up. But it has baked into it is a thing called the Australian Consumer Law, which is largely about product quality and a bunch of things. So if you buy something from a shop and it's faulty, you get to take it back. And wherever you buy it from needs to give you a refund. You don't actually have to send it back to the manufacturer. So there's expectations that are baked into those societies that customers have come to expect. So if they start dealing with you based on their home experience, so let's say you start selling stuff to people in Germany for some reason, they really like your stuff. People in Germany have expectations around how society functions. So if you, weirdly enough, sitting in a completely different country, start having customers from a different society, you can sometimes end up with some conflicts about expectations. And that's where some of these rules and regulations can help you. That's a really good point. GDPR, I think, changed how businesses interacted and how they managed data so much. GDPR in general is not very prescriptive, right? They kind of say you can't do this with the data, you can't do that with the data. But they don't tell you how to do it. And so GDPR is one of those regulatory compliances that we had to prep for. And while at High Trust, it was one of those things that we had to gear up for, right? So we were talking about GDPR before it became law. And so thinking about the language in that compliance, it caused a lot of organizations to go and get attorneys that they hired a bunch of attorneys to decipher what the language, you know, what the letter of the law was there. And it affected how, it really did affect how businesses in the U.S. also handle data, right? Because much to your point, Justin, if you are doing business with, you know, in the case of a U.S. organization and they're doing business abroad, 
And I'll just use the same example of Germany, right? Germany is in the EU. And so German citizens beta is not supposed to leave the German boundary, right? Which is the border. And there are some provisions in there that allow for that. But US-based customers, our organizations were finding is that the brakes were being pumped on them because the organization in the EU, Germany in this example, were having to hold business because they were the data owner. They were at risk or the onus fell on them if the data wasn't being handled correctly. And so you're right. It just really changed how we saw data, how we acted, how we handled the data, what we were doing with the data. And correct me here if I'm wrong, I think with the aspect of safe harbor, right? I kind of get lost in that sometimes, but things like that. So the US-based customers, US-based organizations really had to also meet GDPR requirements to a degree. And so I think a lot of IT leaders really didn't know how to handle that, what that meant. They were trying to understand that. And I think that causes a lot of fear when they're also trying to put their own workloads into the cloud and or have a multi-cloud environment. Yeah, Vic, just to go back to your point, yeah, the EU-US Privacy Shield is the specific regulation for the safe harbor for the cross-border jurisdictional transfers of data that came out of the GDPR specifically. So it's definitely did make a lot of US companies that are processing European data subject information to completely rewrite the script and change their entire compliance programs. I always think back with specifically with the GDPR is just one of the really great things about it as much as it, you know, did make all of us have a lot of work on our plates and um <laughs> yeah, do a lot of data mapping and restructuring an organization and, you know, have to make some hard and fast rules and definitely interpret an incredibly long dense piece of legislation. What's great about it is it did actually make the business case for compliance a lot easier to sell to management. You know, those steep fines in the GDPR really helped sell why we needed to make these changes and how quickly. I mean, 4% of global annual revenue is big for a lot of companies. So I think that's one of the silver linings that came out of it. Oh, absolutely. I agree. It really forced organizations to take a look because that the fines that come with that, the 4%, that could be detrimental to the SMB market, right? The smaller, medium-sized businesses that could have a very negative impact right. and put some companies out of business. So yeah, I, I definitely can see why it was a lot more important to pay attention to that if you were US-based because you know that was something that could put people out of business. Yeah, definitely. And you know, being able to have that driver, I think, is another extra benefit for, for cloud providers to you know, an ordinary customer that may not have be dealing with customers in the EUs, you know, being able to push forward the compliance at the technical level to a level that, you know, in the US is unheard of outside of California, for example. One more aspect of kind of what cloud providers can provide to dig into a little bit more kind of on that front is most organizations want their customer data secure, but it can be tough. It's hard to do, quite frankly. And I've worked with a lot of small businesses that just they are keeping the lights on and making sure the doors are locked is not always first priority when you need to have the lights on in the first place. And so compliance is another thing on top of that that is becoming more and more important and is quite frankly not easy. Having to dig through GDPR is not easy and can be a fairly serious skills gap for smaller customers. So Milo, can you Talk a little bit about how cloud providers can help in that specific place where it's maybe not so much the technical measures of meeting compliance, but 
more of the soft people skill side of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the largest benefits here is adding to the resource pool that you have in your you know, tool belt. So for those SMEs, for those small to medium-sized businesses, being able to outsource some of those technical controls, you know, specifically, I know we talked about earlier, some of our physical controls at data centers, for example, those are highly complex and those get into the nitty gritty. If your cloud provider can manage that for you and do it well and audit it and prove that they're doing it right, that is a huge relief for any organization, honestly, to be able to rely on some of those certifications that cloud providers are required to have and should have if they don't, such as ISO 27001 or even a SOC 2 report in the United States, certain things that are governing these controls that companies can request and rely on from cloud service providers is just invaluable. And not only that, but also the resources that cloud service providers have within their compliance department, they should be available to answer questions to help smaller companies answer any questions that their independent auditors may have to be able to provide that documentation they need. If they have a very specific question about a control, to be able to explain it, you know, explain it how, for example, Island does it, or what makes sense within their individual environment to make sure that we're conceptualizing compliance, but also making it understandable and helping them implement it to secure their own data. That's what we're here for, ultimately. Yeah, and we do that already for a whole bunch of other things, but we do it so effectively people kind of forget. Like electricity, getting electricity into your house safely is actually quite tricky. It's more tricky where I am because we have proper voltages, not this 110 volt nonsense that they have in in Australia. We have proper seriously dangerous stuff, but that's why you're not allowed to go and work on the cabling yourself here because you'll burn your house down. But no one thinks about that, like the compliance are involved in that. You just get, in Australian vernacular, the name is Sparky. You get an electrical contractor, an electrician to come in, and you just get them to run it all. But they have to adhere to a whole bunch of standards and compliance, and you never even think about that. You just get some power wired up. It's the same with you know your accounting, lawyers, all these kinds of services that you don't need every day in most, particularly SMB. You don't need to talk to your accountant every day. So you hire them in as you need them and do your tax returns once a year. Or you get them to prepare contracts and have a standard form contract with your lawyers and they just do that once and then you use that and you ask them occasional questions. It's the same with your cloud provider. Like it's infrastructure for your company. So you can outsource a whole bunch of that compliance activity to someone who knows what they're doing. And then if you hire well, you you pick the right firm to do that for you you can trust that they will do a good job. Again, do your due diligence, check on it to make sure that you're picking the right partner for your business. But once you've done that, you can rely on that ecosystem that you've built and you have your own little mini society with its rules about how stuff is done. And other people can deal with things that are their specialty. And then you can get on with doing what is your specialty, which is running your business. Yeah. And that's a big part of why customers go to the cloud in the first place, because their business isn't running a data center and, you know, the redundancy, the power and the cooling and all of the security of the physical aspect of, of the environment are not things that most businesses are going to differentiate and be able to charge extra money or have extra products because of. So they are more and more looking to cloud providers to do those aspects of it. And the compliance and the underlying things they have to do to meet those compliance is definitely a big part of that. Yeah, I think when you talk about the skills gap, especially maybe in the smaller to medium-sized businesses, I see that there more often than I do in the larger organization, enterprise-type organizations. And 
there's always this challenge, right? And I think that's just an educational thing, but the challenge is usually, you know, they don't understand what it means to have data in the cloud or in a multi-cloud environment. You know, in these larger, medium-sized organizations, sometimes they have a multi-cloud strategy and they don't even know that they've had it. It's just that teams within the organization, they operate somewhat autonomous from each other and they each team has reached out to different cloud service providers, <laughs> as an example. And so then the question becomes like, well, how do we rein all of this data? How do we still meet these mandates and security? And I think it's an education thing because a, a lot of the questions we get is, well, do we still own the data? Who has access to the data? And that's a big fear, right? Number one fear for companies moving into the cloud is you know, control. Do I still control that? Who has access to my data? If you are using some form of encryption, you know, do we own the keys? Do they own the keys? Who has access? And that becomes, well, if someone else has access, then we have to mitigate that risk because we're introducing an entity outside of our own organization, you know, for that. And so, you know, and today you can, you can own your own keys and go into the cloud and own the data and eliminate that risk by keeping everything in house while still using the cloud. So, I think there's a lot of misconception, a lot of ambiguity out there that we have to do a better job in educating, you know, those folks out there, IT leaders out there. Vic, do you find when companies go through that process that they discover a lot about what they're doing already in their own organization? I've certainly seen that with our clients that they start looking at what they're doing and say, oh, oh no. It is a kind of a wake up moment because sometimes they're already there and they didn't know. And again, as I mentioned, it's we have to put the reins on this. We have to get control of this before there is a breach. And if we don't know what's out there or what kind of data is out there, right? Because you can't protect what you don't know. And so that becomes another challenge is, okay, well, we need to know what's out there. And those solutions exist today. You can do that, you know, that data discovery and classification of data. And then once you know that, then bring that in or put some security context around that. And it becomes a very easy thing at that point. But we do find that a lot of clients are finding out that they have data out there already. And here they are thinking, you know, well, how do we get out there? Well, you're already out there. So now we, we just got to make sure we can get you under control here. So yeah, you're absolutely right. We have found that sometimes it's a discovery of what they actually do have when they start to go through this process. Yeah, and again, I think there's a nice parallel with the technical aspects of moving to the cloud there too, where you've built all these things over time and nobody really truly understands how they work. They don't really necessarily know that these two applications talk to each other or when they do that or how they're doing that. They just know that it worked at one point and maybe the person or contractor who did that is gone, has moved on to a different company. And as they move these technical elements, these applications and virtual machines into the cloud, they start to discover these pieces and how they really interact with each other. And it can be really eye-opening to them as to how they're interacting and be able to sometimes start digging in and actually make things more efficient or correct any mistakes that may have been made along the way. So Milo, I'm interested to hear what your experience is in talking to other peers in your community groups that are not necessarily within technical organizations. What's their experience? Yeah, it's been an interesting <laughs> learning opportunity for me. So yeah, so I am on a board of a small network group within Houston that's called the Greater Houston Business and Ethics Roundtable, uh, Gerber, and it's primarily focused at targeting 
compliance officers and general counsels and compliance professionals to meet and discuss different topics. We definitely focus on privacy and security, at least for one or two of the events annually. And we have about one event every other month or so. But what's been interesting for me, Houston market, of course, we're in Texas, oil and gas in Houston is the biggest market. So most of my peers on my board are all within that particular industry. So they're regulated in a very different way, you know, than an organization like Island would be, which is interesting in itself. But I noticed within our events, we have a lot of questions about data privacy and security. They always come up if we have a speaker that's maybe doing more risk management or general compliance. If we bring in a consultant that's really focused on compliance changes and where we see the future of compliance going, it's only security. It's And the questions that they're asking, sometimes I'm surprised by the lack of sophistication within the group about this space. And I think it's because within our market, we're lacking a lot of you know technology companies within the field, specifically in Houston. That's changing, which is great. But I definitely am seeing this is something that, you know, very senior persons within compliance specifically are definitely asking a lot of questions. They want to learn more and they're looking for resources, but their programs might not be where they need to be. Cool. So an opportunity there for a bunch of consultants or cloud providers to help them out. Yeah, definitely. I was interested in hearing about knowing that it's big oil and gas. Does it truly operate differently than? Maybe, you know, just like the retail industry or the financial industry or the healthcare industry. I'm assuming because it's oil and gas, they've always tended to operate a little differently than others because it's oil and gas and they have so much power. I've always been fascinated with how they do things, right? It's kind of like, you know, the dock workers, (laughs) like in Los Angeles, where they just have this kind of control. Do you ever run into anything like that? Speaking with those groups, is there a challenge there? I think some of the organizations, since they're such large enterprises and they, you know, have very sophisticated programs in place, maybe they're a little bit slower to change. I think that's with any larger organization. Things just, you know, have more checks and balances on them than maybe in a smaller group. So I think for them, maybe, you know, their compliance, if we're thinking about, you know, security compliance specifically, I think is probably a more traditional setup where it's really run within their IT department and separate from their general compliance because you know most of their compliance is very much focused on more of government regulation within the US specifically in supply chain and you know anti-corruption and anti-bribery spaces as opposed to things like the GDPR or CCPA they're just less i think those things come across their desk less frequently yeah so definitely an advantage to using a cloud provider in those situations because again that's not something they do day in and day out, like we do at Island, for example. Right. Well, obviously, security and compliance are very different. You know, compliance includes a lot of things around financial, organizational, not just the technical security side of things. So it's important to keep that in mind that kind of like, you know, disaster recovery is a part of business continuity. Security is a component of compliance. So it is a larger thing that we all have to deal with. And really, compliance really comes down to adhering to the rules, the rules that society have defined to avoid disasters like security breaches. And, you know, those rules usually come into play once somebody breaches those rules that society may have had as kind of implied but not written down. And this is a place where cloud providers can really focus on those nuances around the technical compliance needs. 
just like we do with availability and all the other components that go into running a technical infrastructure, we have to spend a lot of time focusing on a lot of different regulations and making sure that they adhere there. And the best practices that are needed for one regulation, a la GDPR, can benefit every other customer, even if they don't have to adhere to that regulation at all. Because it becomes best practices for the cloud provider to do, because it's quite frankly, just easier to do it everywhere than it is to just say, we're going to do it in this one place. And that has a huge benefit for small businesses where they're able to not only outsource their technical management to a cloud provider, but also to outsource the compliance management piece of it too. Because those cloud providers should be able to provide documentation and explain how a particular cloud environment is meeting those compliance regulations. I really like the analogy of just like you, when you hire an electrician or a construction contractor to take care of building a building or running electricity to that building or making any changes within that, there's a ton of compliance needs within that. And you're not unique in Australia whatsoever on that. But most homeowners don't need to worry about that because part of hiring a contractor is outsourcing that compliance needs. And really, it can be tough for any company to deal with the compliance needs where they're not in their core part of their business. So if they're not constantly dealing with the technical aspects within IT, you know, even in large oil and gas companies don't always know GDPR well enough. So it can be a huge benefit as part of moving to a cloud environment. And it is one of those soft costs that oftentimes don't get calculated into, well, is the cloud cheaper or more expensive than running on-prem? So definitely something to keep in mind for everybody. But unfortunately, we've hit our time limit. So with that, we'll finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to Vic, Milu, and Justin for a great conversation. Also, thanks to iLand for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can find our episodes on your favorite podcast app. And if you found this content useful, we'd really appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues, writing us on those podcast platforms as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Who doesn't want to be associated with GDPR? GDPR is great.